So welcome back to Runners on Trail, the trail running podcast by Midpack Runners. For Midpack Runners, I'm Thane. And I'm Anthony. And this is the fifth of our episodes on the Cape Roth Ultra, when we ran from Kinloch U to Inverbroom through the Fishfield Mountains. It was an amazing day. So look, welcome back. And rather than starting off with me chatting today, I'm going to start us off with the trail clip. And it's from about 8k, I think, into day five. I'm having a chat with Peter. Well, good morning. And we are on day five of the Cape Roth Ultra. And for maybe only a brief moment, the sun gods have come out on us. And I'm walking along with Peter. And... uh, well, it's been a good start to the day, hasn't it? I mean, for the first time, it's been really runnable and walkable. And we are pressing on. Yeah. How's your day? Oh, it's been great, to be honest. It was The forecast for the day was absolutely hideous. And yesterday was a very wet, cold, trackless day, which a lot of people struggled with. So it's always about preempting things. If you're thinking something, do it. Like, put a layer on, take a layer off. You can't just... I'll do it there because it's too late. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. I had this conversation with Shane yesterday yeah. where we were talking about layers in the back. Yeah. And I said the problem was, by the time you thought about doing it, yeah. it was almost too late and you couldn't take your stuff off because it was already too cold. Oh yeah, I am. Um, after checkpoint one, immediately after checkpoint one, I put all my warm kit on, my mitts on, went up the hill and I just felt comfortable Yeah. Doing the whole time. And then you can see people. And what it does, which people don't realise is, Stops you eating, yeah. Stops you navigating, stops you doing the essential things. You're just on a downward spiral. But today, oh, you can see something. I oh, made the mountains, what I came for. the Fisherfield Mountains look amazing, mm. and we are going to have a good day. Yeah, look at it. Oh, <laughs> look at the view. So, look, there you go. They'd warned us it was going to be a rubbish day, and I'd kitted up and everything and started running. I went, it's really warm, and the sun's out. And it was amazing. And the views were amazing. And it felt amazing. You probably have my voice. We were just so, it was so exciting. Even now, I can remember how much I was buzzing on this day. The weather was just glorious for about the first 10K. It's amazing, isn't it? With all the modern technology that the old adages are still true that, you know, prepare for everything because you never know what the weather's going to be like in the mountains. Well, exactly. Absolutely was. And you, you run the first bit of that day it's a lot of fire track and road and you can really get some solid miles in. And I remember I ran for the first five or six K and it was completely flat uh, and, and really sort of got my average speed up. Nice. Which is, yeah, which is great because I know I'd eat into it later. And then climbed some paths and bumped into Peter. I think Peter made a very good point there, which is around getting cold. And when you get cold, it's not just the fact you're getting cold and that's a risk to you. It's the fact that it stops your ability or your thinking ability, it stops you using your hands, your mind's preoccupied, you're not therefore taking on food, you're not thinking clearly, you're not putting on extra clothes, and you're getting wetter and wetter and colder. So it's almost like an exponential drop off. It's not just the cold, it's everything that comes as a result of that. I, I think that's a really important point. You've got to do it as soon as you feel it. Yeah. And we talked in the last episode when I said I wondered whether I should have put my warm layer on earlier because I was keeping it in case I had to get my bivy bag and the more I think about it now the more I think yes it's the right thing to do get yourself warmer earlier and prevent yourself from becoming Mm. like that 
so after I'd been with Peter, I turned off the track. You have to turn off track at one point and headed up um, towards the Fishfield Mountains and bumped into Thomas, who come all the way across from America to run in the Cape Roth Ultra. Cool. So I'm here walking along with Thomas, who's from somewhere in America. He'll tell me in a minute. Um, but I wondered what your motivation is for coming all this way to do this race. I, uh, I really enjoy testing myself, really just seeing how far I can push myself. I've done uh, a lot of ultra running, trail running over the years. I just keep getting farther and farther. Stage race is not a very popular format in the United States, so when I saw this, I uh, fell in love with it and said, let's do this. And that was almost two years ago. And you watched all the videos of people running in the warm and the all sun? All of them, all of them, every single one of them. All the brochure uh, videos out there, yeah. <laughs> Uh, didn't uh, didn't really live up to the brochure, but that's okay. <laughs> and whereabouts are you from in the US? Uh, Kentucky. Kentucky? Yeah, as nice. in KFC, yeah. urban horse racing. Nice. Yep. Well, enjoy the rest of your race. Yeah, thank you. And uh, let's make it to the end now we're here, yeah? Yeah. And the rain starts again. Thank you very much. I know. So look, as you can hear from that, the rain had started again. Yes. I mean, you know, we had had a glorious bit. And... After that, you go over a couple of crests. We went across an amazing river that has sort of low waterfalls. It was one of these, the first time I think in the whole trip where I'd gone, I'm really not sure how where I can safely cross here and working at the place that was the safest to cross. That actually was probably only ankle deep. It was on a, a downward slope of rock. But if I'd slipped, I realised, oh no, I'll land in that plunge pool that's about two metres down. That's probably the best place I can cross here. And of course, you're in race mode. And I've been back since with, with our friend Bob. And he looked at me and went, you're mad for crossing there. I mean, in the race, it just seemed really sensible. Um, so, yeah. And you then go down into the Fishfield Mountains and down through a, a river valley. And as I started down there, because I'd started at seven in the morning and I'd run really well, I found myself at the front of the entire oh, cool. field. Wicked. I know. And you start running and I could just see all, everything in front of me. And of course, you're not leading the race, but you are at the front and it felt amazing. Um, right up until the point where clearly there was no one in front of me and I'm bimbling along lovely. And I turned around and went, where is everybody? <laughs> and I realised that I should have turned off. Oh, no. And they've made, we've talked before about how that, what they say about, you know, missing the track and navigational errors. So what I did was a sort of almost more than 90 degree back on myself. I didn't go all the way back up the path. I just went across this horrible boggy marshland. Definitely took me a lot longer because at that point I could see the people streaming oh, no. in front of me, about 400 metres away, streaming along. So I'd clearly lost a fair amount of time doing it that way. And then you run down to a big stream crossing and a beautiful, there's a beautiful copse of trees. And I remember seeing it and thinking that'd be amazing to camp in. And then start up what on the Cape Roth Trail is an alternate up a fire track road and it went from sunny crossing this river just before we started up there yep. to biblical weather in the space of five minutes and it was one of those bits where i thought back about the day before and was trying to get kit on and realizing i didn't have i probably couldn't get my kit on anymore i'd missed the opportunity i got my gloves on i was wearing tights that day i got waterproof trousers on and i had a waterproof coat on and it was just a case of running. But I can, again, remember running on this road and going, I'm starting to get cold. 
I'm starting to get caught. At what point do I stop and put my warm top on? Yeah. But it was the rain was so torrential, I realised that my warm top would be soaked before I could even get it on because I'd have to take my jacket off. And then that made me even worse. And I knew that bit of road was only about three or four K long. And so I just decided to run as fast as I possibly could, knowing I'd drop down into another valley when hopefully it'd be more sheltered and I could get my top on. Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. Mm-hmm. But of course, in, you know, the way of the world, as I dropped off and went down, the weather stopped. I still put my top on to try and make me warm, but within 10 minutes, I was absolutely roasting. And that just showed how the weather could really flip backwards and forwards. Yeah. But how you really, really needed to act early, which is exactly what Peter was saying. Uh, and again, if I could give advice to people, it's, you know, act early, put the top on. If you have to take it off again, you can have to take it off again. But if you don't put it on in time, you really will struggle. And then you coast along the valley floor a bit and then start the last climb up and over the top of another sort of, I wouldn't even call it a ridge, it's just a higher bit of ground to drop down into Inverbroom. And as we got to the last bit of that, and it's a really steep drop down to valley, you could see all the valley and you could see the camp and the sun had come out again and it was amazing. And I looked down, but it was still really windy. And I looked down and I just saw this tent go flying out the camp <laughs> and flying across a field. It was one of the accommodation tents and it was flipping over and people run in, you know, and, and I, I, you know, it's clearly not funny for them, but it kind of looked a bit amusing to me from the top of the hill until I got down to the camp and I said, oh, what tent are you in? As they picked up my dry bag to take it to my tent and I went, tent 14. And they went, that's that one that's just gone flying across the field. <laughs> and I'm like, rubbish. And so I went and sat in the mess tent. I ended up sat in the mess tent for about two and a half hours because the weather closed in again then. And it was biblical weather to the point where you didn't even want to leave the mess tent to get to your tent. Yeah. Because I was sat fairly dry in the mess tent. I have four plates of chips (laughs) as I sat there chatting to Paul and a few of the others and just sort of resting. And by the time I got out of there, whilst it sounds a bit gipping, all the mud that was on my ankles and my feet kind of dried out and I was able to literally brush it off. I didn't bother going for a wash because it was cold. And again, I could really feel the fact that over the days I was getting more and more cold, even though the weather wasn't more and more cold. But again, it was another great day because it was fairly short. I'd actually run that day, the 27 miles, in less time than I'd run the 22 miles the day Mm. before. And we heard Peter say how trackless it was. And the day five really was a lot more track. So that day five is your proper recovery day when you really, really can recover loads, I think. Would you say that, because you're saying that, you were getting colder and colder as you were going through the event. Was Part of that was possibly, you know, exhaustion and taking on energy and stuff like that, and therefore your body's not burning as as much or not, not as much to burn to keep warm, possibly. Is it also possibly, I don't know, slowing down? But is another one the fact that your clothes are just slightly damp and you can't, you can't kind of dry them out, so there's a little bit of your attire gets colder quicker? Is that something or not? I don't think so, because I put on a clean, fresh T-shirt, okay. clean, fresh pants, and clean, fresh socks each day. But don't get me wrong, as I've said, your feet get soaked within two minutes getting out of the camp. But my T-shirt was clean each day, so it wouldn't have been damp. It was in a dry bag, and all okay. my stuff stayed really good and dry. Yeah. But there is a bit of, you know, you do have to get used to dragging on damp kit. My tights were damp most days, definitely, because yeah. I only have one pair of tights to wear from that point onwards. So yeah, it was like that. So the one thing I noticed at the end of day four was that I started to get some back pain and I went to see the medics. Now the medics, there's a big medic tent here and it's got a constant stream of people going through it, but they've got a lot of physios, doctors, uh, you get seen pretty quick. 
you can register and go for your dinner and come back at a certain time slot. It's all very good and efficient. And what they said was, I've been using a single pole and I've taken a single pole with me just for sort of getting down the hills and for helping with stream crossings and stuff. And they said that I'd probably unconsciously used it more on one side than another and strained yes. my back. Yeah. So they put some tape on my back to try and help stabilize it a bit and just said, you know, don't use a single pole. So the next day on day five, I didn't use any poles because it was actually quite a simple day. But from then on, I actually ended up using both poles every day for the whole day, almost. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, any slight imbalance will always exaggerate things. Well, also, as the race went on, and we'll get into it later in the episodes, you do, I think, inevitably slow down a little bit each day. And so when you're doing stuff that's more like walking than running or doing more walking, the poles become more and more useful for keeping you going. Yes. So as I've just talked about, eating four plates of chips. I should probably talk about yes. the food that you get on the Cape Wrath Ultra. And for me, I thought it was amazing. I had read some stuff from a previous year where people said there wasn't enough protein. I certainly didn't find that, although I guess I had taken the decision to eat biltong while I was running each day. So yeah, let's talk about that. So I would run each day with gels and jelly babies, and they do advise you eat, run with real food. But all I would say to people is, run with what works for you and gives you yeah. the energy. So I had biltong as well, and I had taken some squeezy pouches of uh, peanut butter, which I ate a bit of, but I found it a struggle to eat at speed, so mm. didn't really work for me. But in terms of when you arrive in camp at the end of each day, there would be cakes and chips, and it's basically limitless. Eat what you like. That's nice. Yeah. And then from 6 o'clock, they start the evening meal, which would inevitably be something like, chili or a curry but all of the food there is vegan or vegetarian there is no meat or fish some of the meals are clearly obviously vegan some there's a vegan vegetarian option so if there was mashed potato quite often there'd be a vegan version and a i was going to say normal version a version with butter in it and i guess that means that it's easier logistically for them to do it or is it a conscious decision for the meat and fish it's a conscious sustainability decision you know you can read all about that on their website yeah but I have to say, you know, I didn't once in the week think, oh, I'm missing meat yeah. or anything like that. I mean, I eat quite a lot of vegetarian food anyway. I'm not a vegetarian. But the food was fantastic. And again, almost, again, almost limitless, big dinners, puddings with custard and stuff like that. And then at breakfast, there was porridge and bread and vegetarian sausages and hash browns and beans. And you could stuff yourself senseless, basically almost limitless food on the last day i was very proud that i went around four times at breakfast and got told i wasn't allowed to go back again (laughs) i ate a lot on the last day did you Um, find that your what you preferred to eat changed through the week certainly i've experienced that before in these long events where you start off wanting more kind of carbohydrate and then you tend to my experiments want to gravitate towards more kind of fats no not really no for me I was really happy each day with what I ate and and I never felt hungry apart from I think on day seven during the day I felt I hadn't eaten and I was hungry Mm. before getting to camp it was the one day when I wish I'd had a bit of real food on me but it was only that one day and most of the time I was completely happy and I would just stuff myself senseless at breakfast and eat two or three rounds in the evening as much as you're getting the chips and the cakes. and Yeah, so you were quite consistent then in the, your makeup of your food in yeah. terms of fast carbs and slow-burning energy. Yeah, but you you know expect to eat a lot. Of, a lot. And, and the only way I can describe it to you is that I would I was going to the toilet about three times a day, twice and before, once when I got up in the morning, once after breakfast and once evening. 
and it was full on proper going to the toilet toilet so i was that's how much i was eating because oh, you wow. know you've got to process it and it's got to come out yeah, right? so yeah, so yeah. okay i mean i think the thing is you have to eat you know oh, yeah, yeah, unless yeah, you're going to eat when you're carrying it and this is one of yeah. the issues you know so i know some people who had half of their dry bag weight was made up of food to eat on the tr- on the hills because you have to take wow. your own hill food with you you can't take stuff out of camp i did it the other way i about five kilos of food, and I was probably at the lightest end of most people, I think, five kilos of hill food in my 20 kilo limit. And I made that up by stuffing myself senseless in camp each day. So that five kilograms in your 20 kilogram kit bag, so that five kilograms had to support you over eight days. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. There were a few cafes and stops that people did stop in and and eat something different while they were Mm. going. Um, I didn't, but again, that did work for someone. So yeah, day five, I think I would say was the best day mm. of all of them. And that view of the Fishfield Mountains when you're when you're running through it, it it was mind blowingly beautiful and amazing. Um, is that because it's got like the just painting a picture for people, is that because it's got that kind of the view you would expect to see, you know, in the Highlands of Scotland. Exactly. It was that kind of picture postcard image. Yeah, that, and you're yeah. and you're running down the up the glens and there's just massive mountains either side of you and yeah when you when you go to the top of some of the you don't actually do any peaks but when you get climb up high you can see all the glens and the and see some locks and things it yeah, is yeah. just right okay stunning yeah and you realize that you're just running up one glen and there's three or four or five going in different directions yeah when they say this race takes place in the uk's last true wilderness when you're running that you can utterly believe it yeah yeah the beauty of course of having a short day is being able to get yourself sorted and go to bed early. And I was in bed and asleep that day by eight o'clock in the evening. Nice. Yeah. Eye mask and earplugs, people. It's right. It could have been midnight. It could have been whatever. You didn't know. I had, I, the sound had been cut out. The mask cut out the light from my eyes. And asleep I went. The one thing I did realise that day and made a few changes uh, was that I'd started then to pre-cut the tape for my feet when I could and also tape my feet in the evenings before I went to bed rather than taping my feet in the mornings when I got up. Felt more natural to have an extra half an hour in bed, yeah. having spent the half an hour the night before taping my feet, rather than waking up in the morning and taping my feet. But what day five certainly enabled me to do, I think, was just recover a bit in my legs yeah, and recover my body a bit and really refuel, which, as I said, I really did. Yeah. Ready for day six, which was the longest day. Because you must be able to feel now that, you know, after day five, you're you know you're you're then kind of got quite a lot behind you already done you, day six is a long day you know day eight is a relatively short day so you must be feeling like right okay i've got myself to the position now to do day six as long as something doesn't go wrong i'll complete that and therefore then it's and you're on that kind of i think maybe, smelling the barn i think they would call it in america wouldn't they? yeah i think there was a bit of that although when we looked at the cutoffs for day six you started to go, I don't, they're just so short. I don't see how I can make those cutoffs. Oh, okay. So but, there was still trepidation about, yeah. yeah but we'll yeah. get into that okay. in episode six. Yeah. Runners on trail. 